For those of you who don't know me, I'm Slade Reinhardt. I'm the director of Grow and Connect Ministries here at Fellowship Bible Church, uh, which means that I oversee ministries like uh, small groups and life groups, which are our uh, adult Bible classes. To uh, And all of those ministries have the purpose of helping you to grow in your knowledge of Christ and to connect to the body of Christ. So uh, I'll just go ahead and say, I know that Wayne mentioned this in the announcements, but if you are part of fellowship, maybe you've been here a while or maybe you're new either way and you're not connected, feel free to drop me a line, give me a call, uh, uh, shoot me an email, and uh, I'll be happy to help you connect in any way that I can. We, uh, we're in the second sermon of a five-part series called Apprentices of the King, and if you missed last week, the first uh, sermon in this series, our executive pastor Adam McMahon preached that then uh, you can find it on our website, longviewfbc.com. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on our Facebook channel. So I would encourage you to do that if you haven't. We, uh, we're talking about the mission of the church, and the mission of the church is, as Mark mentioned when he was up here, Mark Vance, that uh, the mission of the church is to make disciples. That is the great commission that Jesus gave to his followers, go and make disciples of all nations. But instead of using the word disciple, we use the word apprentices because we wanted to try to help everybody understand the word disciple a little bit better. Uh, you know, all of us kind of bring some, some baggage into that word from our past experiences. Uh, maybe you went to a church where discipleship or discipling meant a very narrow and specific set of activities like uh, sitting in a formal teaching such as a sermon or a Bible class or something like that. And so uh, we use this term apprentice, and I'll give Adam uh, credit for coming up with that, because it, uh, I think it better communicates in our day and age what a disciple is. But uh, I'll get to that in just a minute. So let's begin by reading the scriptures. Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to be reading verses 25 through 30. Matthew 11, 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Last week, as I mentioned, Adam Gaman kicked off this series, and he answered the question, why? Why should we make apprentices? Why should we make disciples? And if you'll recall, he gave two reasons for that. One of them was because people without Christ are in critical danger. They're in danger of hell, facing the judgment of God for eternity. And a second reason is because Jesus deserves to be everyone's king. So one way to understand that would be that we make disciples, we make apprentices for, for God's glory and for man's good. We see, men and, <clears throat> excuse me, we see men and women around us who are lost and facing certain destruction, and out of our love and concern for them, we want to tell them how to avoid that destruction. We want to tell them about the way of deliverance and the way of rescue that is available in Christ. 
We see the greatness and glory and excellency and beauty of Christ, and we want other people to know him. We want other people to experience his goodness. We want other people to praise him and to give him the honor that he's due. So for those two awesome reasons, let's make apprentices. Let's do that. We as a church, let's make apprentices. But before we do that, another question that needs to be answered is, <clears throat> pardon me, another question that needs to be answered is, what is an apprentice? What is a disciple? What is it that we, the church, are trying to make? Because our answer to that question will shape our philosophy of discipleship. It will determine what programs or ministries that we create, which ones that we don't pursue, which ones that we do pursue. So it's a vital question, and I, and I think that very often uh, believers, and I'm including myself in this, go through much of their Christian lives without ever really thinking about what that word even means because again we sort of just assume it as one of those basic words that people throw around. So today I want to try to answer that question and to do that I want to look at three characteristics of an apprentice that Jesus gave us in this passage in Matthew. So first of all an apprentice knows Jesus and the Father. An apprentice knows Jesus and the Father. Now, I realize that you know this, but I'm not talking about simply or merely intellectual knowledge. I'm not talking about detached knowledge, just factual knowledge. I'm talking about personal knowledge. For instance, I know Troy Aikman, former quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. I know that he began his college career at Oklahoma. I know that he broke his leg and ended up being second string, and so he transferred to UCLA where he finished his college career. I know that he was drafted first in the 1989 NFL draft. I know that he led the Cowboys to three Super Bowl victories, and I know that he retired after 12 seasons in the NFL. I know Troy, but I don't really know Troy. I can't call Troy if my car breaks down. I can't ask Troy for advice or tell him my problems. I know Troy factually, but I don't know Troy personally. An apprentice is someone who knows <clears throat> an apprentice is someone who knows the Lord Jesus and the Father personally, not just factually. At that time Jesus declared, "I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children." Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, the first thing I want you guys to notice, twice in these three verses, it talks about somebody revealing something. So who is doing the revealing? And y'all can say it. Yes, all of y'all were right. Yes, the Father and Jesus. So God is doing the revealing. A bedrock truth for apprenticeship to Jesus is that the apprentices do not initiate the relationship. Now that is one way where it is opposite of apprenticeship that we're experienced with. Uh, for instance, if you decide to become an electrician and you apprentice to a master electrician, you approach him. He doesn't just pick you out of a crowd. But in the case of an apprentice to Christ, he actually comes to us. He actually must initiate that relationship. The triune God must reveal himself to you because you cannot attain and I cannot attain personal knowledge of God the Father through my own intellect, through my own abilities. Your intellect, your talent, your resources, none of these are adequate to enter into a personal knowledge of God. 
God must reveal himself to you. And that's what enables an apprentice to know him. It is the action and the work of God. The church is indeed commanded to make disciples, right? Jesus didn't say, I'll make disciples. Now, you guys just do what you want. He said, you go and you make disciples. But we have to always keep in mind that it is him working through us. It is never our work. It is always the Lord's work. Because if we're making disciples in our strength, we're not making disciples of Christ. We have to make disciples depending on the power and strength of God Almighty. You and I are not doing God any favors when we are making disciples. He is doing us the favor of working through us and allowing us the privilege and the joy of being part of what he's doing in the world. So Jesus thanked the Father that he hid these things from the wise and understanding, and then he thanked the Father that he revealed these things to little children. What are these things? Well, in the passage before this, when Jesus condemned several cities in Israel, Bethsaida, Chorazin, and he denounced them because they had rejected his call to repentance. You know, at one point he said, look, if Sodom and Gomorrah had seen the things that you saw, they would have repented, but you didn't. You didn't repent, and therefore you're going to be judged. So what things did these cities miss? Well, they missed who Jesus is. They missed the significance of the miracles that Jesus was doing in their midst. They missed the realization that those miracles were identifying him as the very Son of God, the Messiah that they had been waiting for for centuries. They missed that. And the Bible says that the truth, is, the truth of Christ is hidden from the wise and understanding which means those who are wise in their own eyes, those who are not teachable, those who are arrogant, those who are proud. And the Father reveals these things, reveals the truth of who Jesus is to little children, those who humble themselves, those who recognize that they are spiritually impoverished and they know nothing and must depend upon God for everything. The Father reveals Jesus to the humble, enabling them to know him personally. And Jesus reveals the Father Jesus said, no one knows the Son except the Father, excuse me, anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So Jesus chooses the objects of his revelation. That follows from what he said at the beginning of verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. He was just talking about the Father's revelation of the Son, and then he follows that statement by talking about the Father's knowledge of him and his knowledge of the Father. So all things is probably talking about all knowledge of God. And since the knowledge of God is what is necessary for salvation, he's saying that the administration or the dispensing of salvation has been given into his hands. In John 17, 2, Jesus said that the Father gave him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom the Father had given him. And John 5, 22 says the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son. The point is this, the destiny of all mankind has been given into the hands of Jesus of Nazareth. Like that great song says, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. <clears throat> the Father has chosen to reveal the truth of Jesus, that he is the Messiah, that he is Lord of all, that he is the Son of God to the humble. And then he committed the dispensing of that truth, which brings salvation to the Son, now, it may sound arbitrary and even random, but we're talking about the perfectly wise and holy Son of God. Jesus chooses to reveal the Father to the same ones that the Father chooses to reveal the identity of Jesus. So the point of knowing that this revelation is in the hands and at the uh, 
authority of Jesus Christ is not to cause people trouble and wonder, okay, well, maybe didn't, Jesus didn't really choose to reveal himself to me. The point of it is to give credit where credit is due, and that is to the Almighty God. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, then that means Jesus chose to reveal the Father to you, and so you can give him praise and glory for that. <clears throat> you don't need to sit back and worry, well, I wonder if I'm someone that God is choosing to reveal the Lord to. You chose Christ because he first chose you. So if you have put your faith in him, you were chosen by him to receive his revelation. If you are an apprentice, if you are a disciple, then you can give the credit, all the credit for that, to the gracious Lord of all. An apprentice has had the son and the father revealed to him, and therefore he knows them personally. Not like I know Troy Aikman, but like a son knows his father. Therefore he knows them closely and intimately. The second characteristic of an apprentice is this, an apprentice comes to Jesus. After this beautiful description of the Father and the Son revealing themselves, Jesus then gives this great and famous invitation. An apprentice or a disciple is someone who has responded to that invitation, which is found in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a glorious, glorious statement. Now, before I go into the details of that statement, I do want you to think about something. Imagine those words coming from the lips of any other man in history. Abraham Lincoln, Albert Einstein, Aristotle, Charlemagne, George Washington Carver. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If anyone else said that, it would be the height of pride. It would be pure blasphemy. But coming from Jesus, it is proper and appropriate because it is true coming from him. He and he alone can give rest to those who come to him. I can't give you rest. Fellowship Bible Church can't give you rest. Only Jesus can give you rest. And therefore, part of what we're doing when we're making apprentices is pointing people to Christ. And that's why we don't get worried or fall apart if someone decides to go from here to uh, Little Flock Baptist Church on the south side of town, okay? Because apprentices are apprentices of Jesus Christ. They're not apprentices of Fellowship Bible Church. We are not the ones who give people rest. It is Christ who gives people rest. And that is one reason why churches should not, unfortunately they are, <laughs> they should not ever be in competition with one another or be jealous that one or another is thriving. Jesus can give us rest. Amen to that. An apprentice has responded to this because he or she recognizes that they labor and they're heavy laden. Outside of Christ, everyone labors to justify themselves. Everyone labors to get rid of the guilt and the shame that they're experiencing. Everyone uh, is heavily burdened by the condemnation that their own conscience gives them. Because God has put within, within each one of us a moral compass that condemns us rightfully when we do what is wrong. And so we labor under that. We try to do good things to pay for bad things that we've done or hope that the good things will outweigh the bad ones on the cosmic scales. Men and women are heavily burdened by the weight of their sin, the crushing bulk of guilt and their separation from their creator God. And those who see this are invited by the Lord Jesus to come to him. Do you see that you're laboring? Do you see that you're heavily laden? Come to me and I will give you rest. And the reason I say those who see this is because really every person on earth outside of Christ is laboring and is heavily laden. But it takes the illumination of the Spirit of God in your spirit to see that that is your state. <clears throat> to not continue to be deceived by the darkness of your heart. 
Now look at this glorious promise that Jesus gives with this invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How many of you, just by nodding, you don't even have to raise your hand, just by nodding would say that you're very busy and stressed in life? Yeah. Is anybody shaking their head? No, don't you dare. Just go. Doesn't rest sound glorious? If you are a parent of a small child, I realize it also sounds elusive. <laughs> but Jesus is offering rest to everyone who will come to him. He's offering rest in our spirits. You can rest from the burden of saving yourself. You can rest from the labor of trying to establish your own righteousness. You can rest from working to save yourself. Hebrews 3.10 says that whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So once you have come to Christ as an apprentice, now you can rest in him. You can rest in his love. You can rest in the security of being part of his family forever. You can rest in being covered in his righteousness, knowing that you don't have to work to establish that. You don't have to fight to keep your place in the family of God. You don't have to fight to earn the Father's acceptance and love. You can rest. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that, a, that an apprentice doesn't do anything, but it does mean that an apprentice doesn't do anything to keep or earn his apprenticeship. It means your place in God's family is secure and your righteousness is perfect and complete because it is Christ's righteousness that now covers you. I, uh, I was hesitant to give this analogy because it's, it's glorious and kind of disgusting at the same time. But I, I mean, I don't know, it's, it's cold outside, so I'll take a chance. Uh, Martin Luther once described believers as snow-covered dung because inside we still have corruption we still carry our sin nature but the perfect beautiful righteousness of christ has been laid over us i hope that blesses you if not i really apologize <laughs> it seemed appropriate at the time i'm glad alex stanton's not in here or is he oh he is okay <laughs> oh there's gonna be an elder meeting so, where are, okay, yes, you can rest. You can rest in the pure, full love of the Father forever. You will never be condemned. You will never be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Praise God for that. Now, I realize that people in my position that stand up on stages every Sunday often contribute to this problem of Christians not resting. Because later in this sermon, I'm going to give you some suggestions for applying this message. And it can sound like what I'm saying is, here, let me put this burden on your back. You, you need to do that too. Okay, you've trusted Christ. Well, here, you need to do this too. Oh, pick up this thing here too. Don't forget to do that. You've got to do this. Be sure to attend that, that kind of thing. So please know that any suggestion I give for a response, again, is not a response of, okay, I've got to earn something with the Lord. The response should be based upon, I am cooperating with the Lord Jesus as he is redeeming me more and more from my fallen nature and from slavery to sin. An apprentice comes to Jesus. But what does that mean? What does it mean to come to Jesus? You know, when he was walking physically on the earth, you could physically come to him. You could walk up to him. You could talk to him. You could say, save me, heal me, do something, teach me. But obviously that option is not open to us anymore. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 7, verses th 37 and 38, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So just like he did in Matthew 11 and John chapter 7, Jesus gives an invitation to those who have a need, and then he offers to meet that need. In Matthew 11, if you're heavily laden, if you're laboring, come to me. And in John chapter 7, if you're thirsty, come to me, and I will meet that need. But in John chapter 7, he gives an explanation of what it means to come to him because he adds, believe in me. If anyone believes in me, then out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So believing in Jesus is the same as coming to Jesus. You come to him by believing him. You come by believing that he's the risen son of God who died to pay for your sins. You come to him by trusting him to forgive your sins and bring you into God's family. Have you come to Jesus? Have you recognized the burden that you're laboring under, the burden of sin, the burden of condemnation, and come to him to receive rest? If not, I urge you to do that today. And at the end of this service, you'll have the opportunity, if you wish, to speak to someone up here in front of the stage about that very thing. Coming to Jesus is the beginning of apprenticeship. And once you have come to him, you are now his apprentice. And so now let's look at the third characteristic of an apprentice, and that is that an apprentice learns Jesus. An apprentice learns Jesus. And now we're getting to the part of why we felt it was really important to use the word apprentice because it keeps that concept of learning. There's purpose, there's motion, there's activity, there's movement in, in apprenticeship. What's that? Impetus, very good, thank you. Thanks, Dwayne. Okay, look at verse 29 and 30. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here's another invitation. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And here's another promise. You will find rest for your souls. And since the promise in verse 28 rest, excuse me, in the promise in verse 29 is the same as the promise in verse 28, both of them the promise is rest, I think it's right to think of this really as one invitation and this second phrase is just explaining more what is part of coming to Jesus. So in other words, coming to Jesus involves taking his yoke and learning from him. This is part of what apprenticeship involves. The invitation to yoke-taking and learning is a further explanation of what it means to believe in him. An apprentice comes to Christ for salvation and life, and at the same time, he takes the yoke of Jesus and he learns from him. Now, as you probably know, a yoke is a wooden frame that binds two animals together so that they can pull a common load. And in the Old Testament, there were times when the word yoke was used as a metaphor for submission or servitude. So when Israel had been oppressed by a foreign power, it would sometimes be said that they were under the yoke of this foreign power, under the yoke of Assyria, under the yoke of Babylon, that kind of thing. <clears throat> but fast forward to New Testament times, and that idea of submission is still there, but it was often used to mean submission to a specific or a particular rabbi. So you are submitting to this rabbi's teaching. You are putting yourself under his teaching in the same way that an animal puts itself, well, it doesn't put itself, in the same way that an animal is under a yoke. The word biblical commentary puts it this way. When Jesus invites people with the words, take my yoke upon you, he invites them to follow his own teaching as the definitive interpretation of the law. And that's why he adds the phrase, learn from me. So taking his yoke and learning from him, that's the same thing. The call to apprenticeship is a call 
to learn. He's inviting us to come to him and to sit under his teaching, to be guided by his words, to follow his commands. Why? Because all things have been handed over to him by his father, because only Jesus fully knows the father. At one point in Jesus's ministry, many of his followers stopped following him. And Jesus then turned to the 12 apostles and he said, are you guys going to leave as well? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of Israel. Who else would we want to go to to be apprenticed by? What other rabbi can compare? You have the words of eternal life. You're not just giving wisdom, you're giving life. And there is no one else that we could go to for that. Lord, we know that you're the Holy One of God, so yes, we will go under your yoke. We will follow your teaching. Only Jesus can save. Only Jesus can truly satisfy what our hearts desperately crave and the lord gives one more reason why we should learn from him why we should put ourselves under his yoke for i am gentle and lowly in heart jesus is not a harsh master and again i i will apologize on behalf of all preachers in uh in this great land i won't apologize for the international ones i can't speak for them but very often preachers engage in what uh, one guy calls sheep beating on Sunday mornings. You guys are sorry, you're no good, you're not doing enough, you're not living up to God's standard. And they just berate and beat and there's this harshness and there's this scolding. And Jesus is not that way. Jesus does correct us, right? Jesus does point out our sin. Jesus does train us and discipline us to uh, fight against sin, to grow in holiness but not with harshness, not, not with scolding. He's not venting his frustration on us. He's not trying to uh, build up his own ego or make himself look better. And he's certainly not trying to intimidate us into following him. Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. He understands our weaknesses. He understands our failures. He has compassion on us when we give in to temptation. Jesus didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He's lowly in heart. He's humble. While he walked this earth, he would give his time and attention just as easily to the lowest member of society as to the highest member of society. And what a contrast between Christ and the teachers of that day, the scribes and the Pharisees. They wanted the best seats. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> they wanted the best seats in the synagogues. They wanted the best seats at feasts. They wanted places of honor. They wanted titles of honor. They wanted people to hear their prayers and be impressed by them. They wanted the praise of men, and they wanted others under them, under their thumb, serving them. Jesus, on the other hand, serves his people. Jesus comes to us with humility and gentleness, and he teaches us out of pure love. Jesus, as you know, ministered to people that would hurt his reputation instead of help it. Harlots, tax collectors, Samaritans. We can learn from Jesus with confidence because he is gentle. He is lowly in heart. We can be certain that he has our good in mind. He's not simply trying to build up a platform for himself. He's the only one who knows the Father. He's the only one who can reveal the Father. And he's the only one who brings us eternal life. And on top of that, once again, there's the promise. You will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. Jesus promises soul rest to those who learn from him. One commentator defined it as a sense of ultimate well-being with, regards to one, with regard to one's relationship to God and his commandments. 
God, as you know, requires perfect obedience to his commandments. That is his standard. As I've said before, it's not simply that you have to make par at this 18-hole golf course. You have to make 18 holes in one. He requires absolute perfection. But Jesus of Nazareth, while he walked this earth, absolutely and perfectly obeyed the Father at all times. And then his obedience is credited to our account when we trust in him. That's why we can have a sense of ultimate well-being with regards to our relationship with God and his commandments. Jesus has fulfilled everything on our behalf. And before I go back for just a minute to the concept of learning from Jesus, I do want to briefly look at verse 30. He ends by saying, for my yoke is easy. Remember, he says, take my yoke upon me, for my yoke is easy, and my burden, burden is light. <laughs> well, at least Texas didn't know. My burden, my burden is light. It's another way of Jesus saying that he is gentle. The yoke of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus is easy. He's not laying heavy burdens on us. Once again, pointing out the differences between himself and the scribes and Pharisees of that day. Because in Matthew 23, Jesus said that the scribes and Pharisees tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Instead of burdening people with guilt and shame, Jesus' burden is light. It's light. <clears throat> Excuse me. The scribes and Pharisees added scores of man-made regulations to God's commands, weighing people down with constant shame, fear, and condemnation. Their system of religion was salvation by works, which can only end in failure. On the other hand, Jesus preached salvation by faith in him. And since he carried the weight of obeying God's commands perfectly and the weight of our failure to do that, his burden is light. So let's turn our attention for just a minute to wrap this up to what learning Christ means. Now, I realize that I keep saying learning Christ, and in the passage, Jesus said, learn from me. He didn't say learn me. But the reason I say that is because I want to emphasize that apprentices are not just learning things. We're not just learning propositional truth. We're actually learning a person. We're getting to know a person <clears throat> As an apprentice learns from Jesus, he or she becomes more acquainted with the Lord throughout their lifetime. You'll remember this diagram that Adam showed last week. It's a picture of the process of discipleship from start to finish. So on the left side, you see people, this is what we're born into, the domain of darkness. We're born children of wrath, the Bible says. And then once you come to Christ, you encounter the cross, you put your trust in him. Now you are transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. But you are not yet finished with your course because while you're walking this earthly life, you'll see that dark band continues below you. Even though you are now in the kingdom of, kingdom of the sun, your sin nature is still within you. So you're still having to fight against the darkness that is within you fighting the spirit that is now within you. And then ultimately, of course, our great reward will be gathering around the throne of Christ, praising and worshiping him in our glorified state. Now, while we're on that path after the cross, but before glorification, God is working in us. Romans 8 says that he is working to make us conform to the image of Christ. And that is where this learning comes in. We are learning to be more like Jesus. We are learning more of who Jesus is. We are learning to turn away from sin and to embrace holiness. The first of Martin Luther's 95 theses says, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Because what is repentance? 
It's turning, turning from, some, from one thing to another thing. So repentance in the life of a believer is turning from sin and turning to Christ over and over as sin is exposed in their lives and as they fight against it. Ephesians chapter 4 says, talking about unbelievers, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Apprentices, disciples are learning Christ, and learning Christ is in opposition to living in immorality. He continues in Ephesians 4, that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Learning Christ means going through life, having our sinfulness exposed over and over so that we can fight against it, so that we can repent of it and turn again to the Lord to receive grace, strength, forgiveness, and renewal. So I hope one of the things you see is that the learning I'm talking about is not limited to what you're doing right now, learning by hearing a sermon. It's not limited to an adult Bible study class or even gathering, gathering with other believers to study the Word of God. All of those are ways that we learn Christ. Indeed, God-given ways that we learn Christ. But we also learn quite Christ through the experience of our lives and through the working of the Spirit. For instance, you learn Christ when someone betrays you and God teaches you that you must forgive them. You learn Christ as you go through cancer and he teaches you to trust him more deeply than ever. You learn Christ when you fall to that sin that you thought you had conquered and he teaches you that you cannot trust in your own strength. Now I realize that all of those examples that I gave you are negative and part of the reason is that most of the time we grow the most spiritually in painful and difficult circumstances. Not all of the time, but most of the time. But to be on the positive side, you do also learn Christ when you study the scriptures and understand more of his revelation. You learn Christ when you pick up a book on the Trinity and you delve more into that doctrine of the nature and character of God. You learn something new about the Lord or you finally understand something in scripture that had puzzled you. That also is learning Christ. So whether you learn pleasantly or painfully, the Lord is teaching you to be more like him. That is what God is doing in your life, and you cooperate with him as an apprentice by engaging in that, by receiving it, by being open to it. So an apprentice knows Jesus and the Father, an apprentice comes to Jesus, an apprentice learns Jesus. In knowing Jesus and the Father and coming to Jesus, a person recognizes their sinfulness and receives forgiveness. And then we become an apprentice, and in our apprenticeship, we are learning Christ which involves repentance over and over again, putting off the old man and putting on the new self. So a shorter way to think of it is this. An apprentice is a forgiven sinner who is learning Jesus. So with that in mind, let me ask you, are you an apprentice? You're human, so I know you're a sinner. Have you been forgiven? Have you come to the Lord Jesus to receive the rest for your soul that he offers and if you haven't, let me just urge you once again, take the opportunity that is before you this morning. Talk to someone. It doesn't have to be up here at the front of stage. You can grab almost anyone in this building and talk to them about coming to Christ, and they'd be overjoyed to share that with you and pray with you.
If you are an apprentice, if you have trusted in Christ, are you learning Christ? Are you learning him? Are your attitudes and actions being challenged and changed by him? Are you learning to trust him more fully? Are you learning more of his greatness? Or are you just coasting along, drifting with your eyes turned to the things of this world? If the answer is yes to that one, but no to the other ones, I shouldn't have done that, should I? (laughs) The point is, if you are not intentionally learning Christ, I have wonderful news for you. If you decide today, Lord Jesus, I realize that I need to be learning you, and I have been not paying attention to you. I've just been caught up with the things of the world. You know what? He is not scowling at you in anger. He is not holding his hand out to push you away from you. He is ready to grab you and walk you through learning more and more about him. Confess to him that you haven't been listening to what he's been trying to teach you. Receive his forgiveness and ask him for renewed desire to learn him, to follow hard after him. The Lord will accept you. He won't turn a deaf ear to your cries, even if you've been spiritually deaf for decades. In addition to attending our 1030 services, let me just, now this is where the application comes in. But again, please don't take this as a burden like, man, if I'm not doing A, B, and C that Slade suggested, I'm not where I need to be. That is not the case, okay? These are more opportunities that the Lord gives us to learn him. So in addition to attending our 1030 Sunday morning gatherings, you could join a life group, which are our adult Bible classes that happen at 9 o'clock. It's a chance to be in a smaller group of people where there can be a lot more interaction. You can get to know people better, and you can really grow in your understanding of Christ. You could join a small group, which typically meet in homes. Again, a smaller group of people where you can really get to know one another, share food and snacks together. It's a great way to get to know people and grow in Christ that way but ultimately what i'm urging you to do is intentionally learn about the father the son and the holy spirit because as you learn from jesus you will experience more and more of his rest jesus is not threatening to hit you with a stick if you haven't been learning he is offering you his goodness his glory his grace his holiness if you will pay attention if you will follow the way of an apprentice and learn christ let's stand and thank him for the grace of forgiveness and the grace of apprenticeship. Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, the one true Son of God, who offers to share his sonship with us who come to him, in his name, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your overflowing grace. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to be your apprentices, to learn from you and to learn you. Lord, I pray that your spirit would drive each of us to desire that, to love that, to love to learn of you, to love to be taught by you. God, I pray that if there are any in here that don't know you, that your spirit would convince them that Christ is the Son of God who can give them rest, that he will forgive their sins and bring them into your family. And for those that do know you, Lord, for the church, the body of Christ, I pray for a special measure of grace that all of us would look again at our apprenticeship and that if we have been stagnant or coasting, that we would restart in intentionally learning you, intentionally drawing near to you out of our gratitude and love for you, Lord, not out of fear of punishment. Thank you again, God, for being here among us. I pray for your protection and peace on us this week as bad weather is about to come. And I pray most of all, Lord, that you would manifest your life in each of us. Amen.